Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 10th of December, 2023, 11 o'clock service. Ros Moody speaking in the series, John the Baptist prepares for the coming of Jesus, John's birth. When my daughter Annabelle was little, she used to like me to sing to her at bedtime. I don't know many lullabies, so I just sang the songs I knew the words to. Sometimes I sang worship songs, and sometimes I would sing Castle on a Cloud. Don't worry, I'm not about to break into a rendition of it. Now, when Annabelle asked me where that song came from, I told her it's Cosette's song from Les Miserables. And I explained that my parents took me and my best friend to see that musical when I was 12 years old, and that we loved it so much that we learned all the songs, and I still know most of them by heart. She asked if she could see the musical, and I said she was too young, but I would take her as a birthday treat when she was older. She never forgot that promise. She told me the other day that she still remembers being a three-year-old and hearing that she could see the show when she was 12 or 13 and how it seemed like an impossibly long wait. But her wait is almost over. Last week was her 13th birthday and her present from Scott and me was the one I promised her 10 years ago, tickets for her and her best friend to see Les Miserables next Saturday. I very much hope it would have been worth the wait and she will enjoy the show as much as me and my friend did when we first saw it. Annabelle, it turns out, is surprisingly patient and has a very good memory. But what about you? What are you like at waiting? Advent is the season of waiting. It's the time when we're invited to prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of Jesus the Messiah, to prepare our hearts for the arrival of God incarnate. When you think about it, that's an odd invitation. How do we prepare ourselves for an event that occurred over 2,000 years ago? How do we wait for something that has already happened? What exactly is it we are waiting for? Last week, we heard how the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, bringing the news, the surprising news that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a baby. It was surprising, we are told, because they are old. We don't know how old, but it's clear they are well beyond normal childbearing age, and because Elizabeth was barren. Luke doesn't dwell on the significance of this fact in the couple's life, but he doesn't need to. Even today we understand, and some of you here may particularly resonate with, the emotional pain that infertility brings to the lives of those who desperately want children. But for Elizabeth, layered on top of her personal anguish, would have been the public shame of childlessness. In first century Jewish culture, children were regarded as a sign of God's blessing. There must have been questions in the village, perhaps even gossip, about why God was withholding his blessing from this couple, a priest and his wife of good lineage, who, Luke tells us, were upright or righteous in the sight of God and followed his commands. Here, then, is a couple whose married life has arguably been defined by waiting for God to act. How many times must they have prayed, crying out to God to change the situation, to take away their shame and give them a child? How many years did they watch go past as they waited and prayed? No wonder, then, that just as Gabriel promised, John's birth is greeted with joy. We're told that Elizabeth's neighbours and relatives share in her joy. Again, we can all understand the joy that a new baby brings. I recently ran into an, a local friend of mine who, who I hadn't seen for some time. She works as a nanny 
So when I saw her pushing a pram, I assumed she had a new job. But when I asked her about the baby, she told me it was hers. I expressed my surprise as I hadn't even known she was pregnant, but also my joy for her. Oh, congratulations, I had no idea, but I'm so pleased for you. I imagine my mix of joy and surprise was a little like the responses that Elizabeth received when her friends and neighbors heard her news. So far then, apart from their advanced age, this is a familiar story. You may even know families with a similar one. A couple who struggled with infertility, waiting for God to intervene, are finally blessed with a child who brings great joy. But the Bible is not only a set of stories about individuals or families. It's the story of the nation of Israel, and it's the story of God's great plan of salvation. Stephen reminded us last week that these events took place during a time of great hardship for Israel. They were living under occupation, subject to the rule of Rome, and suffering under Herod, a wicked king who did not have his people's best interests at heart. Israel, too, was waiting for God to act. Throughout their history, God had promised the people deliverance from tyranny and evil. He'd sent prophet after prophet to call, the people, to call Israel back to faithfulness and declare that God would rescue them. Around 400 years before John was born, God had spoken to Israel through the prophet Malachi, telling them that he will send a messenger to prepare the way. I will send my messenger, Malachi says in chapter 3, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And Malachi's prophecy ends in chapter 4 with these words. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Malachi's prophecy was followed by, by what biblical scholars now refer to as the years of silence, a period of around 400 years when the people of Israel were without any more prophecies and were waiting for those words spoken by Malachi to come to pass. Now, when we're dealing with events that happened thousands of years ago, 400 years doesn't seem like such a long time. But to put, put, to put it into perspective, and because I know it's not a proper sermon at Christchurch without a brief history lesson, 400 years ago for us, King James I was on the throne. He's the king who Guy Fawkes and his friends tried to blow up. And he's the one who ordered the new translation of the Bible, what we now know as the King James Version, that one with all the olden day language. What I'm saying is 400 years is a long time to wait. So when Luke describes as prophecy the word Zechariah declares when his tongue is finally loosened, he's reminding us that this is not only the breaking of months of enforced silence on Zechariah's part. These events signify the breaking of centuries of silence on God's part. After 400 years of silence, God breaks loudly into the world to reveal the next part of his great plan of salvation. And crucial to that plan will be the role of John, Elizabeth and Zechariah's son. He will be the one to prepare the way. Israel has been waiting a long time for her Messiah to come. And John's message will be, get ready. The one we are waiting for, the one we have been waiting for, is coming. 
Luke emphasises this transition to a new phase for us in the way that he structures his narrative. You may have noticed that the verses that contain last week's instalment of Elizabeth and Zechariah's story don't follow directly on from... Sorry, the, the verses that contain this week's instalment of Elizabeth and Zechariah's story don't fo follow on directly from last week's verses. So the narrative in Luke chapter 1 cuts from Gabriel's appearance to Zechariah to his appearance to Mary and then Mary's visit to Elizabeth before telling us the story of John's birth. And so Luke gives us a picture of these two women, both pregnant in miraculous circumstances. Elizabeth, too old to bear a child, is nevertheless pregnant thanks to God's intervention. And Mary, so young that she is not yet married and still a virgin, is also pregnant through God's intervention. Luke tells us that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. I couldn't help wondering when I read through the chapter what conversations these two women had during that time. What did they learn from each other? And did Zechariah, silenced by Gabriel, listen in as Mary and Elizabeth discussed their experiences? What did Zechariah make of Mary's response to the angel compared with his own? His response was perhaps a result of years of unanswered prayer, the doubt of an old man. I wonder if he noticed the contrast with the young, young Mary's willingness to say yes with the words, I am your servant, let your will be done. Gabriel told Zechariah that this baby would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. If those words sound familiar, it's because we looked at them just now. Gabriel is quoting the last verse of, Zech of Malachi's prophecy. We assume that the angel is pointing ahead to John's adult ministry when he will call on people to repent and prepare for the coming of the Lord. But perhaps that work of turning the hearts of fathers to their children began immediately as the older couple welcomed the young Mary into their home and bore witness to her faithful obedience to God's call. Of course, we don't know what conversations happened during that time or what Zechariah thought about, about during his time of silence. But we do have his prophetic song, where we see him express this juxtaposition of the old and the new. In verses 68 to 75, he looks backwards, recalling God's promise to his forefathers through the prophets, right back to, a to God's covenant with Abraham, citing God's promise as being to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then, in verses 76 to 79, he turns to the future with the words, and you, my child. And he goes on to declare what John's role will be, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. And so, for Israel, the wait is finally over. A new prophet has been born, and he will minister in the spirit and power of Elijah, and will prepare the people for the arrival of the Messiah. It's fair to say that the people of Israel have a mixed response to John's ministry and later to Jesus himself. Many of them struggle to realise that God's promise is being fulfilled, in part because neither John or Jesus are the great warriors that they had been hoping would come and drive out the Romans. But regardless of how the people respond, God has not forgotten his promise. And with these events, his plan is unfolding, change is coming. But what about us? As I said earlier, Christians believe that the Messiah was born 2,000 years ago, and yet here we are in the season of Advent with this invitation to wait and prepare. 
In today's world, waiting is not a popular concept. Look at what we've done with the Advent calendar, which started out as a tool to help us focus on the countdown to Christmas. Some of us are old enough to remember when December brought the excitement of opening a little cardboard door each day to find a picture of a robin or a snowflake or something equally festive to get us into the Christmas spirit. As the month went past, the increasing number of open doors was enough to remind children that the big day was getting closer. But in recent years, the humble Advent calendar has had something of an upgrade and has morphed from a symbol of waiting into a tool of consumerism, another way of filling our lives with stuff. We don't have to wait for Christmas Day to indulge ourselves anymore. Why not get into the spirit of Christmas by treating yourself to this delightful molten brown calendar for a mere £210? Or, if you want a touch of real luxury, this Dior calendar is a bargain at 3400 Advent is a time when, like Zechariah, we are called to both look back and recall God's past promises and actions, and look forwards towards the fulfilment of prophecy. The advantage we have over Zechariah is that we have seen how God's promises have ultimately been fulfilled in the life, death and resurrection of the one who John was sent to point us to, Jesus Christ. We understand more about God's salvation plan than Zechariah and Elizabeth could because we can read about how it plays out. And we have not only the writings of the Old Testament prophets, but also the New Testament scriptures to help us understand it. We celebrate Christmas because we understand that it marks the moment in history when God stepped into the world to fulfill his own plan. And looking back to that moment, we remind ourselves that God keeps his promises, which means we can be confident in the promises yet to be fulfilled. Because of course, Advent is not only about preparing for Christmas. There is also a focus on what's often referred to as the second coming, the time when Jesus will return. Just as Israel didn't really understand what the Messiah would be like, so we have a limited understanding of, um, sorry, so we have a limited understanding of exactly what Jesus' return will be like. We don't know when it will happen or exactly how. What we do know is that the Bible holds out a promise that Jesus' return will bring with it a renewal of creation and usher in the kingdom of God in all its fullness. And Jesus told us to be ready for that time. It feels challenging to be ready for something when we don't know when or how it will happen. But we do have some idea of what it will be like, because Jesus came and showed us what the kingdom of God looks like. And in fact, even in today's reading, which takes place before the birth of Jesus, there are hints of what is coming. When they come to circumcise John on the eighth day and want to name him Zechariah, Elizabeth speaks up and says he will be called John. Presumably Zechariah has communicated this to her somehow. Those gathered are dismissive of Elizabeth, thinking she must be wrong because no one in her family is called John. You can just imagine the looks between the people listening. Elizabeth is an old woman who may well have endured years of being patronised or looked down on due to her lack of children. Even now, whilst we are told that her neighbours rejoiced with her, and I have no doubt that they did, there may also have been those who found it odd to see this elderly woman with her newborn baby. Whatever the reason, the men gathered in her house tell her she's mistaken when she says she wants to call her son John. But Zechariah affirms Elizabeth's statement. It's only a glimpse, 
But we see here something of what God's kingdom will be like. Those whose society have dismissed or disregarded are given a new dignity. As Mary says in her song when she greets Elizabeth, God has lifted up the humble. If we want to prepare for Jesus' return, perhaps a good place to start is to join in that work of lifting up the humble. There are many ways we can do that. Perhaps one is a willingness to listen to those whose voices are not always heard. And perhaps, like Zechariah and Elizabeth with Mary, we could learn from the younger generation and wait for the fulfilment of God's promise with the focus of a child opening those cardboard doors as they count down to Christmas. Because let's face it, children were happy enough to look forward to Christmas by opening a new door each day. That was exciting enough. Those expensive advent calendars and marketing gimmicks aren't designed for children. They are toys we adults have created to distract ourselves from the waiting. And perhaps from all the expectations that we place on ourselves at this time of year to create the perfect Christmas. We find the wait difficult and the preparation stressful, so we fill the time with indulgence and distractions. But if we are not careful, the things we fill our waiting with become bigger and more important than the thing we are waiting for. God has filled the world with good gifts. We enjoy many of them at this time of year particularly. Good food, fine wine, time with family and friends, even the joy of giving gifts, and sorry, giving and receiving gifts with loved ones. But all these things are mere tools designed to help us focus on a time when we will experience God's goodness in all its fullness. It's all too easy to allow the things themselves to become the focus and lose sight of what they are pointing us to. Although it can be hard to do, this Advent, let's try to stay in that place of childlike anticipation. The three-year-old Annabelle was much too young to know or understand the story of Les Miserables, but my badly sung rendition of one of the songs was, was enough of a glimpse for her of what it contains to make her want to see the show. And although it seemed like an impossibly long wait, she held on to the promise of a loving parent that one day she could see it in full. Our minds may not be able to conceive of all that God has prepared for us, but he has given us enough glimpses to know that it will be good. And he has shown us unequivocally that we can trust his promises, even if the wait feels long. So as we get ready for Christmas, let's enjoy all the good things God has given us, whilst holding on to his promises with the tenacity of a three-year-old who's been promised a treat. John's birth brought great joy, not only to Elizabeth and Zechariah, but to all the people of, of Israel, and ultimately to the world, because he was sent to point the way to Jesus, the one in whom all of God's promises have been fulfilled. Let's listen to John again, and get ready for Jesus' arrival, focusing on him as we prepare ourselves for the time when we will be fully in God's presence. And, in the words of Zechariah's prophecy, God will enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Amen.